I just want to make sure that everybody understands that, you know, just because you have experience doesn't mean that you're not still trying to learn and still trying to be new, innovative ways of doing things. The ball is faster than your hand. If you reach to, to get the ball and bring it to you, you're giving the, the, the runner an opportunity to beat the tag. So I want to let the ball travel as far as possible to the tag position and then drop the tag. It's not about beating your chest and saying how smart you are and how much you know. It's about what you can transfer to the player. You know, I can be the smartest guy in the world and and not be able to get it across to a a Dominican shortstop who is actually a stud. Does that make him wrong or me wrong? Fellas, fellas, fellas. Welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we're here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the Rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. This podcast is brought to you by our partners over at Rapsodo. Measure to master. Rapsodo brings powerful insights into every pitch. They help players and coaches improve their performance through real data. On this episode, we sit down with Bobby Dickerson, third base coach for the Baltimore Orioles. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Coach Dickerson. Welcome back to the farm system. We're here with Bobby Dickerson, third base coach for the Baltimore Orioles. Coach, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the farm system. I appreciate it, guys. I love to be on, man. It's nice to have somebody interested in what I have to say. Yeah. Well, Coach, I know you got a whole bunch of love uh, earlier this year when you got you mic'd up on the infield, you know, talking with some of your athletes. And um, not only do you have so much value to add from that perspective, but Again, you'd have some time in the game, and uh, we, we try to hit from every diff, uh, every angle, and we think you have a, a lot of value you can add to a lot of our listeners, and us included. Well, that's good to know. Um, you know, that's one thing that we try to make sure. Um, nothing's better than experience, really. When you start thinking about everything you've done, you know, you guys have talked about your show here and, and the mistakes people make, and you make mistakes, and everybody does, and the only way you learn is from making them. You've got to make your mistakes, and I think back, for a long time, you know, I've been doing this and I uh, just want to make sure that everybody understands that, you know, just because you have experience doesn't mean that you're not still trying to learn and still trying to new, be new, innovative ways of doing things. Absolutely. Such a great point. And as you talk about experience and kind of your story, as we get the show going here, Bobby, do you mind uh, taking our listeners through your journey to get to this point in your career? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, first of all, as a pretty brutal player you know in the minor leagues I played seven years in the minor leagues drafted by the Yankees and uh, four years with the Yankees and what a prestigious start to a career really Um, just a lot of history in that organization and then uh, went to the Baltimore Orioles for three Um, and then you know right after that I I think the farm director Doug Melvin who ended up becoming a major league general manager and stuff 
recognized that um, I really had a lot of passion when it came to teaching and and also in the game in general. Um, so he offered me a coaching position. But prior to that, you know, I, I started my really, really uh, was at Nickel State University in Thibodeau, Louisiana. And, you know, that was where I, I uh, kind of cut my teeth and started becoming a man. And, um, you know, so once I started my coaching career with the Baltimore Orioles, um, one of the toughest jobs I ever had to do was a player coach. Uh, I was the 23rd man on the roster, so I played sometimes on Sundays, um, through BP, worked in the cage with hitters, just kind of a well-rounded coach. And and problem was I wasn't really a player and I wasn't really a coach. The staff didn't really uh, tell me all the secrets, and the players didn't keep me as one of the players. It was a tough position, but um, – you know, then I just started doing different things. Want to get my career going and, and get well-rounded, and, and I was an infield rover. Um, and then I managed short season for the Orioles. And then when the Arizona Diamondbacks started up, they recruited me to come over there from from nothing. That was a pretty neat organization to be involved in. From nothing, the World Series in four years. So it was uh, it was a pretty special time. I got my World Series ring, and being a minor league coach and field coordinator in that organization. Uh, really gave me a lot of experience in how to build something and and how to go from nothing and and um, create a champion and and the type of people it takes and the type of work and effort and knowledge and everything and uh, we achieved it. So then since then I've I've been with the Cubs for ten years in the minor leagues doing managing and uh, roving teaching infield and um, went back to Baltimore in 2010 after leaving it for about 14 years, um, started off in the minor leagues there as a minor league infield coordinator and, and Latin American coordinator, and then um, got the big league job in 2013, been been the big league since then, and then as of right now, you know, I'm still kind of out there looking for something right now, um, and we had one of the worst years in baseball in the career, you know, in the history of baseball last year, but, you know, those type things, they, like I said before, they, they you learn from them. You learn things that happen good and bad in your career, and you try to take them and move forward. And, you know, kind of kind of one of the things I kind of make sure I, I bring to my players, too, to make sure that they understand today does not have to be tomorrow. Yeah, what a great point. And, you know, when you look at that, you know, your role within the organization, how would you say that it blends, you know, with the other coaches and the staff? And kind of what role do you, do you specifically play other than, you know, just being an infield, um, you know, really work with the infielders how do you blend your everyday activities with the rest of the staff well we all have our own um little box that we need to kind of make sure we take care of you know any good great organization whether it's uh, retail or whatever everyone needs to take care of their area and pull the rope together and 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 most of the times it, it ends up being personality type things that make you get along and become a cohesive uh, unit but my main job is just, you know, I make sure that all the infielders, one, are physically developed, you know, with their skills and their tools to execute things, and then two, uh, mentally prepared to play their opponent. So uh, we do an advanced report on our opponents, and, and I make sure I present that to the infielders and, um, you know, get our team ready to play. Uh, say if we're playing the Red Sox today, uh, make sure that we, um, as a group, the infield, I mean, is ready to play, uh, position themselves, and and be aware of anything that might come our way uh, from their players. And 
and each particular coach does the same thing in his area and it's all overseen by the manager so that's kind of how it is and then also i have to prepare myself to coach third base by looking at their defense the opponent's defense and make sure i understand their arms um what infielders can relay the ball well and what infielders can't the way the the way the particular ballpark plays so there's a there's a whole lot of preparation goes into to a, a day and a season but really in a day before you play a game in the major leagues okay and when we talk about a piece you touched on there as far as infield play um i've seen a video of you talking about this when we're considering double plays can you kind of touch on why it's important for the tandem up the middle to be consistent in their movements? Well, that's it. You just kind of answered it with the tandem in the middle. They're, they're, they've kind of gone away. It's, it's so uh, much like a merry-go-round as far as players. I mean, one minute Manny Machado's the shortstop, and the next minute Tim Beckham's the shortstop. Um, the, the old days of having a tandem, a, a middle infield together for five, seven years, it's, it's kind of gone away. I mean, once those guys back in the day when they were be working together, um, a couple of years later, they knew everything, that every move that they were going to make. And so it just became such a such an easy fit for each other. But now, um, as an infield coach, I need to make sure that I help the guys clean up and be real consistent in their moves because tomorrow there may be a new shortstop. And that shortstop needs to understand that as soon as he gets there, that guy's the, his his uh, teammate, his coworker, his second baseman is gonna be aware. Okay, we're we're kind of consistent in our moves. I was just working with a guy that that delivered the ball the same to me um, on a ball moving to his right that this guy does. So try to keep it consistent, keep it tight, um, eliminate wasted movements, and you know just really make sure you understand that um, if I can keep this stuff consistent that the day one second baseman leaves or doesn't have a doesn't play today that the shortstop and the second baseman can be work as a unit still you know because like i said that that tandem that used to be so huge back in the day um you know you build a strong middle infielder and they're together seven years it's not like that nowadays yeah absolutely and touching on that point as far as players coming in and out and free agency and kind of how the game's going nowadays. How difficult does that make um, your guys' job as a coaching staff? You know, at the end of the day, when you start thinking about long-term, it makes it difficult, you know, because you want to plan and and, and and try to think forward. But really, um, it just it just makes it be a daily-type uh, operation. You know, today I got to take care of today. You know, I definitely want to plan for tomorrow, but what can I do to help this guy today? And it, it puts a lot of, it's a whole different animal the way it is nowadays because, um, like you said, today, J.J. Hardy's your shortstop in Baltimore and he's a gold glove winner and the next day he's gone and, and you're trying to rebuild another guy and, and you didn't even know that you were going to have that guy, um, you know, a month earlier. You get a, a new guy. So um, it makes it difficult because you got to build that relationship you know, because mm-hmm. most players, especially big league players that have had success and at the highest level to get there, trust is a big thing when it comes to coaching. And if you can't develop that trust, um, they'll turn you off, you know. And I've been fortunate to be with some really great infielders. And the number one thing is just always to build trust and understand that you're in it with them. Um, 
trying to get them to understand that no matter what they need from you, you're there for them. Um, sometimes you got to be a little tough on them and, and say things they may not want to hear. So that relationship comes in huge then because they know it's coming from a good place. That's funny, Bobby. I think you walked right into uh, my next question for you. It's, you know, I was going to ask you about how much of coaching is connecting with players. Um, kind of dove into that a little bit. And, I'll, you know, could you open up what are some ways that you go about uh, connecting with players, you know, building that quick rapport uh, when you need to, again, teach them, but at the same time too, you know, build that relationship? Absolutely. You want to, you, for me, you need to let them know you're human too. You don't want to condescend. Um, you, you know, you guys preference when you talked to me earlier about making mistakes and, and, and understand that all people do. And I think once you show most players, not all players, once you show that you're human, and you're flawed, that's a door opener, you know, that you're not going to come in and, and uh, beat them down with information or uh, beat your chest and show them how smart you are. Uh, they'll turn, they, you know, for the most part, they'll turn you off. It's just showing them that I'm a human being. I, I make my mistakes. I've grinded through things. I've, I've had the same situation happen to me 10 years ago, and they see that, you know, and that starts opening doors and 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 that you're able to, Talk to them about your family, their family, um, things they like to do, hunt, fish, whatever. Just build relationship before you start trying to to uh, say, hey, trust me, I can help you do this as a coach. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a whole dynamic that, for me, a lot, of, a lot is missing in coaching. Like now, nowadays, there's a whole lot of just, okay, look at this video and it'll make you better. And that's not necessarily true. It's. Every player needs to be, um, for lack of a better word, you know, create a relationship and, and understand that this coach is in it with you. Tough. It's really a tough thing to do, and but experience helps you do it. That's for sure. Yeah, it definitely is tough, but such great advice there. And um, I wanted you to touch on this a little bit with you being the infield coach. I think it's an overlooked aspect of infield play. Um, can you kind of talk on how you teach the process of receiving the ball and then um, implementing the tag? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that's one of the things that really is not uh, not harped on enough. It's such a such a vital fundamental. If you think of all the potential outs at bases in a particular game, um, you know, a guy stealing second, a guy going first or third, and a throw from the outfield. There's so many potential outs. And we work on the throw part of it all the time. Um, catchers throwing the second base, for example, for a steal play. But rarely, rarely do guys really get a chance to work on their tag plays. And and, and um, as an industry, I'm saying, but look, in my development, it's it's just as important as taking a ground ball. You may may have three tag plays in a game and not get a ground ball. And you could infect the game by the the way you receive the throw. And, and get the out at second base or third base or home plate, wherever. First base on a pickoff, the way you tag. And those are huge. And um, what I preach to the guys is, one, let the ball travel. It's always faster than your hand. The ball is faster than your hand. If you reach to, to get the ball and bring it to you, you're giving the, the, the runner um, an opportunity to beat the tag. So I want to let the ball travel as far as possible to the tag position, and then drop the tag. Also, I like to straddle a bag to start with because the number one thing you want to do is you want to try to invite the slider to where you want to tag him. And if you're straddling the bag and the, the, the slider is coming into your base, 
he has nowhere to go but straight into the base. If you're in front of the base, talking about at second base when, when you're taking a steel throw, if you're in front of the base, you're inviting him to go to the backside. Now if you reach forward a little bit and you try to bring the tag all the way to the backside of the bag, that's precious time, and those inches matter, and especially with replay in the major leagues. Now we've seen it a million times where it appears to be safe and the, the guy ends up being tagged out or appears to be out and he ends up sliding his hand in there on the back door because the guy's tag. And it's not talked about enough. I watch it every night when we play games. I see a poor tag affect the game. Um, pitcher ends up throwing 15 more pitches because we had a poor tag because because we uh, weren't in position and gave the guy a backdoor slide. And But I think if you straddle a bag, get your face behind your glove, let the ball travel, and then make an aggressive hard, firm tag. It should be a borderline tag between starting a fight. It, that's, it's, it's an aggressive tag. If you try to slow your glove down, that's precious time. If you try to tag him nicely and soft, it's precious time. It's not aggressive to hurt the, the runner. It's aggressive to get the out. So um, that's a, I'm very passionate about that. It's part of my daily routine tags at, at the bases. After I hit ground balls to my infielders, I always take my fungo and and hit them tag plays. Um, not a lot of people are fortunate enough to be able to control a fungo. So I would just say make sure you get to a distance, maybe throw some tag plays and just have them work on the um, all the fundamentals of it. Yeah, no, that's interesting. The, you know, again, just like you said, during the, the game, we're all worried about pop time. Everybody's worried about, you know, catchers, how quickly they get it to a bag. But I, you know, agreed, especially too being, I love the infield, uh, the infield stuff as well. And, you know, the same thing and with the fungo, like you're saying, I used to hit, uh, when I was looking at your videos, I was actually pumped up about that, about going around the infield and just hitting uh, like one hoppers and short hops to the first baseman. So someone showed me that when I was in uh, junior college. And uh, that's one thing I used to love doing with my high school team last year. And then uh, just like that as well with when you're teaching the tags at second base, being able to hit a fungo uh, towards your in middle infielders and then receiving and, and tagging is a great, a great way to do that. And kind of a great way, again, if you can handle a fungo, that's a great way to do that. You could also do it with machines and stuff too, but it's just not, not the same. You can, you can do it, but it's just not the same. So, but uh, that was great that you dove into that. I love that stuff. Um, when you look into you know, you look into these teachings of your players, you know, do you see a common theme that you're constantly talking about with players? You see, you know, an ideal that you're constantly bringing up with multiple athletes? Yeah, as an infield coach, I constantly bring up the, the thing that I think is um, the really the, the biggest key to playing high level defense is um, really a couple stages to that. Number one is, is uh, playing defense is an advanced game of pitch and catch. It's all it is. Everything that happens with a ground ball, uh, turning a double play, everything that happens, it, it all goes back to the basics of being a 10-year-old boy playing catch. And when you play catch, you can work on so many different things. I constantly go back to, the, to, the, to that with guys. Move your feet to make, to make all throws good. So if the guy throws me a ball and it's, it's kind of uh, partially bad, five feet to the right or left, move my feet, get my face behind my glove, catch and transfer. Okay. So now a ground ball gets hit to me in a game. It's the same thing. It's maybe five feet to my right, move my feet, get my face behind my glove, find a short hop or a long hop. Same thing I would do playing catch. If a guy throws a ball that's going to bounce short of me, if it's short enough, I make it short and pick it. If it's a little bit out in front of me, I may drop step and make it long. 
but these are the same things that happen on a ground ball. Um, and I also tell them that um, ground balls do not cooperate. So the cookie cutter ideal of circle a ball, field through it, funnel to my waist, right, left, right, left, all these different cliches of infield play, they're not real. Because in reality, when the ball's hit, it doesn't cooperate like you want it to. It becomes a fight to find a hop. And then I preach to my guys all the time, find a hop and catch the ball. That's it. If you get ball security, if I have ball security with balance, then I can usually create a good balance throw to my next, which is the next stage. So I constantly try to keep it simple. It's advanced game of catch. Um, when I first started out, we talked about experience. I was regurgitating everything I had ever read or heard as an infield coach. Circle the ball, funnel the ball, right, left, catch the ball at the top of the pyramid. All these different cliches of infield play when it comes to fielding a ground ball. Um, follow my throw, all these different things. But in reality, what actually happens, watching some of the greatest players in the world, and I've been fortunate you know, to have gold glove winners and and platinum glove winner and Manny Machado and J.J. Hardy, um, and then guys like uh, Jonathan Scope, who's a six, four, six, five monster, play middle infield, and that's not what happens. I mean, it really isn't. When I watch them and I break them down, look at them on video, there's not all these cliches happening, you know. The throw is 100% separate from the catch. It's totally – the video shows it look separate, but the naked eye makes it look as one piece, like it's so fluid. You know, so these are the type of things. Catch the ball first, get your face behind the glove, stay in the moment when you're playing catch. It's a huge time to get better. When you play catch, don't play fetch. Yeah, man, love it, love it. And I'm interested in how this may be changing that as far as how you guys are teaching players at the big league level. Um, With the development and evolution of technology in the game, how is that changing the way organizations run shop at the big league level? Well, you know, if you go back 30, 40 years, every single person wanted information. We used to do spray charts when I was in single A, you know, with the pencil and paper. You draw lines where the, where the guys hit the ball. What happens is now it's just like, you know, everybody's got a cell phone now. We can talk and uh, we can podcast and we can do different things. It's just information. And everybody, old school, and that's what I alluded to at the beginning, my experience does not make me old school with tobacco falling out of my mouth and hard-headed. It, it makes me experienced. That's it. I'm still learning. I'm still wanting to apply information. And those are the things we do at the big league level. We, we use all the information we can get to help the player be better and to help us win games. That's the bottom line. At the end of the day, it's all about winning a game in the major leagues. It's not about beating your chest and saying how smart you are and how much uh, you know. It's about what you can transfer to the player. You know, I can be the smartest guy in the world and, and not be able to get it across to a, a, a Dominican shortstop who is actually a stud, does that make him wrong or me wrong? So I constantly do that every day, use as much information as I can get. We have computerized spray charts. We can see where every ground ball has been hit on a slider. We can see how where every ground ball has been hit by a particular hitter against this left-hand pitcher. Um, there's just tons of information. But at the end of the day, we need to present it to the players in a way that they can, one, understand it, and one buy into it um it's constantly and and this is the defensive part there's so many more metrics and so many more so much more information the offensive and pitching part um and those guys use that information to to um try to help make points that have been there forever you know you know 
we talk about spin rate and we talk about things like that. Guess what? Back in the day when a guy's fastball would beat you up high, we knew that, guess what? He's rotating the ball pretty good and he could beat you up high. He wants to make it look like it's hittable, but your belt, your bat's going to be under it. You know, it's a good pitch, you know. And now they're just able to measure it. Guys has a good spin rate. Hey, you, you can have success pitching up in the zone. It's just it's just a way to, to measure it and show them the same thing that, you know, guys have been saying forever. It's just another way now we can absolutely show them that this is real. You know, a guy with a slower rotating ball, maybe got a heavy sinker, or, um, and it just says, hey, you're going to have better success throwing this sinker down and in, or a shit can of sinker because of, what the metrics say, but most times it's just a another another way of evaluating what you've seen. You know, I mean, I've seen guys Zach Britton. We've had one of the best closers in baseball, and Zach Britton threw a heavy 97 mile an hour sinker that nobody can hit. But when he gets hit is when he throws it up, and when he's in trouble is when they take it and then it's out of the zone. So that the computer didn't need to tell me that and. Nothing, you know, as far as uh, information needed to tell me that because I saw it. I saw it. saw hitters pounded in the dirt. I saw pitch hitters swing over it. And I've seen him in trouble when the hitters are able to lay off of that sinker that looks like a strike and ends up being a ball. I think the more guys that ended up taking on him created a little more stress and made him get the ball up in the zone. But, again, these measurements, we all want it. We invite it. We want information. We want things that, that can help us be better. and. And um, the 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 key and the trick is is presenting it to the players, and because at the end of the day, it's their careers, and the organizations depend on them to win ball games. Yeah, that's absolutely a great point. And when you look at when you look at tech and you look at how it's already changed the game, how do you see it continuing to change the game in the next five years? Just I think more and more people are, are getting involved in it. You know, just more and more people that maybe haven't played that just loved the interesting part of it and maybe computer savvy and, and are able to, you know, analyze the video and, and do things like that. And I think that's um, one of the big things. I just think being in the game for forever, the nuts and bolts of the game can never be changed. It's a, it's a baseball player, human being game. And so many different things are not measurable. You know, Steve Pierce won in the, the um, MVP award award, in the World Series. Measure that for me. I want to know how someone metrically could have said this guy's going to win the World Series and MVP when he's on a team with Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez, right? And there's guys in the league like in, in the same tournament, Manny Machado, and, and in the same seven-game series, I mean, Manny Machado and, and Turner, and, and Steve Pierce is the one that gets the MVP. Just such a neat thing. Human beings are amazing. You know, human beings, one day, the, you know, you get the right human being and he goes in the war against, he goes in there and fights against uh, Randy Johnson and he gets a hit against him. And I know it might be the only hit he's ever got against him, but it was bases loaded to win a game. And it, and those are the neat things. And you've seen it. You've seen the team like ours this year who couldn't win. We really played well against the Yankees. So explain that. Nothing can explain it. You try to. Try to figure it out. You want to. Because how in the heck can the Yankees be so great this year and not just beat us, you know, all 19 times? Because we were brutal. 
we were not a good team, you know, as far as that, as far as the comparing to the to the Yankees. But we were able to fight and claw and make it a point and and get in the fight better. And, and for some reason, we raised our game and we could we play with the Yankees at times. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you touched on kind of the experience, and um, you've seen the evolution of the game go. Uh, when you look back at all your years being in the game of baseball, what's still keeping you going? I mean, what do you love most about the game? I love I love it because it is life. I mean, it is unpredictable. Um, I say that as we just finished talking about that. It's unpredictable like life. We wish we could just dial up this certain thing. You wish you could take your podcast um, and get it syndicated and become – on ESPN and and this be a great thing and you're you know we all want to do these things in our life and we want but baseball is just like life it's it's so unpredictable it's it's awesome it becomes a, a attrition grind I want to I want to uh, help players be better I want to help my organization win and it and I'm not going to ever lose that um, that edge I mean I I came from a family with with not much and you know, it's one of those things where everything I put into the game, I'm never, it's like a chip on my shoulder. I want to prove I can do this. I want to prove um, as, a, as a person that's been in the game for 30 years, I want to prove that I'm still innovative. I still want to learn. You know, these are the type of things that make it awesome to me that, that a 53-year-old guy can still do something a 22-year-old guy can do on the field with a fungo. It's my nature. It's who I've been my whole career and, you know that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I'd love it. It's no, nothing better than the green grass and the the dirt, and they're putting these turf fields in. And you know I'm a little bit whatever on the turf, but I understand it. We need to play games, and sometimes it's a better way to get the game in. But I'll tell you, spring training, that great smell of fresh cut grass and a bunch of star athletes on the field uh, perfecting their trade, and, they, and you know it's awesome. I'll never lose it. Love that. And, you know, when you look over these years as well, when you look at your experience and how much you've grown, uh, what has been your best resource to develop yourself over the years? Uh, best resource is players. You know, they, they show you and they tell you how you're doing. They show you how you're doing. You know, it's, you know, you know if I've been doing this for a long time and I can't look back at my career and see some big league guys that I've impacted their life and even guys that got released that I've impacted our life, I'm not doing very good. And um, Just as rewarding as J.J. Hardy getting a gold glove and Manny Machado getting a platinum glove and uh, Chris Davis moving back to first base back after he lost his job in 12, 2012, finished third in a gold glove voting in 13. Um, you know, just like all those great things, the phone calls I get from players after they've been released and, and looking for to start their life in something else and thanking me for everything, those – those are just as important and just as gratifying. So, you know, that's how it, it just, it, that's, that's how you measure it. I believe there's nothing not, the players measure it. Man, love that. And it's reassuring to hear a big league coach talking on the importance of lifelong learning mentality throughout the whole interview. And we really appreciate you opening up this information for our listeners this morning. Um, if anybody listening in through the airways want to reach out to you about anything we've covered today, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, Bobby underscore Dickerson at yahoo.com. Awesome. 
Hey, well, Bobby, thank you again for, you know, taking some time now to give back to the game, the game that, you know, you loved your entire life. And uh, we appreciate you jumping on and moving the game forward. Well, I appreciate you guys having me, man. Enjoy that weather out there. <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. Man, it's so awesome for Bobby to sit down with us and uh, give back to the game. And uh, this call takeaway is brought to you by Quality at Bats. Don't forget to visit qualityatbats.com to further your mental approach to the game. Yeah, man, it was great to get Bobby on the show. What was your biggest call takeaway? I think my biggest call takeaway is kind of what he jumped into there at the end when he started talking about things that, you know, uh, the human element to the game. And there will always be that human element to the game. Of, you know, he's talking about with the tech, um, you know, you, while you could explain, again, like, you know, maybe a matchup or why a guy is, is great, you know, this game or not great this game. And maybe he hits, you know, this pitch better than others or, you know, all of those things, the human element of the same thing too, of like a guy's history and, um, you know, what he's had to do to get to that moment. Like he's talking about like with, with Pierce, you know, like everything that he's got to do, you know, to get to the world series and that story and how many teams that, you know, he's played on and, um, you know, again, just fighting to get a, a role and fighting a role to get a role on that historic team, you know, this last past season, you know, you never know on that same sense. Uh, when you look at a guy's background, you kind of can look at a, a path of, you know, maybe maybe that that same path, you know, makes that player or maybe that same path is the reason that player, you know, never makes it to that moment. Or maybe he's scared because that's the first time he's been in that moment, you know, and, you know, just because you can look at a path, you never know how the human is going to interpret that and like use that to their advantage or let that be a, a, you know, a hurdle to their life that, you know, maybe they can't get past. And so uh, there's that human element to the game. And, you know, uh, you know, driveline's been key at pointing out this as well, as they had mentioned that again, that that. There is no, there is no, you know, tech that's going to replace coaches, but more in the sense that the coaches that know how to use tech will replace coaches that don't use tech. And so like, that's one, that's one of that, those concepts as well, is that you still need the coach in that environment. You still need the coach to, you know, again, you're dealing with humans, you're dealing with athletes. And I think that's a great point that, you know, he brought up is that, not only do, you know, we need to continue to evolve as coaches and, you know, integrate this technology, but also, too, we need to stay a human and we need to get better at, you know, that human side. But how about you, you Bo? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, man, that's great. Uh, pretty much uh, bouncing the same idea. Experience doesn't mean old school. Um, experience is experience. And we have to be willing to learn and be able to constantly adapt with the times, just like Bobby has alluded to and just like he's doing. You know, it's not about what we know or what matchup is the best, or what the technology analytics can give us, but can give us a blueprint, but we have to be able to communicate, get the guys to buy in, and that's where coaches really get their money. So uh, that'll never go out of the game, and the human element is what makes the game of baseball and being a coach so great. Absolutely, yeah. No, and that's, and that's the thing, too, is just like with that, with that point in the game right now, um, even though all this tech, the tech's coming in, you still got to, at the end of the day, you still have to be able to communicate it you still have to be able to interpret it. And you also still have to be able to make to get the players to understand that as well and help them understand how to improve their data or again, or improve and integrate that into their game. So that's where you definitely need the coaches on that side um, as well. Um, so again, guys, great episode. Um, you know, again, you know, you guys heard Bobby earlier uh, this year, if you guys haven't, uh, we'll, we're going to post some links and things like that to um, some of his videos of him actually working with some of his athletes so again, stay tuned for some of that info if you haven't listened to those yet. Um, and guys, as, as always, this is a great episode to share some insights that you gained from this, this interview. What are some things that he went over, some thoughts that it provoked in, inside your heads? 
um, great. Go ahead and share those with everybody else. Those help other coaches grow. Uh, that helps other coaches know what you're listening to, ways that you're developing yourself. And again, obviously, us, uh, we can help you grow your network. Uh, we'll give you retweets and stuff like that as you guys uh, share our show as well. So, guys, uh, we we appreciate you guys listening. We have a lot of love for you guys. Make sure to check out our website, resources, things on there for you guys. But from us and on our partners over at Rapsodo, until next time, Farm System out.